Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we have real talk about fertility. And in honor of Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, we are featuring newsmakers and thought leaders to share their experiences and elevate this conversation. Today's episode is presented by CCRM Fertility of Dallas-Fort Worth, a first-class fertility clinic led by Dr. Durrett Norhausen, dedicated to providing patients with industry-leading quality patient care and outcomes. For more info or to book a consult, visit ccrmivf.com slash Dallas Fort Worth. Emmy award-winning news anchor and reporter Jenny Anchando has reported on stories for over a decade and has spent her career hearing people's life stories but admits that until being touched by pregnancy loss and infertility, she never had the desire to share her own story. Part of Jenny's story is the lack of awareness and knowledge she says that she had about her fertility, especially after easily conceiving her first child with her husband. As Jenny admits, quote, I didn't think you could age out of this process. Well, I'm like everybody else. I'm seeing celebrities on you know, Us Weekly and, you know, People Magazine and stuff, having, you know, children well into their 40s and 50s. And it seemed to be happening frequently and nobody was telling the story. Now at 41, as she prepares to have a baby after many years of losses and IVF setbacks, she says she's an open book so people can learn what she wishes she knew and so that she can support others who are struggling to conceive or feeling as isolated as she did through the devastation of pregnancy loss. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me on the Pregnancy Podcast. I know we followed each other for a while, and I never want people to find us, but I'm really glad you found us, and I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Andrea. I've been following your account for a while. I love responding to the polls. I love the discussions that you bring up, and just the isolation is so real when you're going through this process. So to have just a platform like yours to think, okay, I might not be totally alone, right? Everybody's not going through this, but at least there are these few souls out here on the internet around the world that are going through it. So thank you for creating what you've created because it's been an incredible resource for me and, and honestly for so many other people too. Oh, thank you. And you, your voice is so appreciated there when you do weigh in. You always get a lot of love for any comments you make because they're so oh. thoughtful because you know you know this so well, sadly, and we're going to talk about that. But before we go into infertility, pregnancy loss, which is really what this month of content is about, let's peel back. Let's go back to you because, you know, it can be all consuming, but we have lives outside of it. And I'd love to just have our audience learn more about you. Tell us about yourself, anything you want to share. Gosh, who am I before this? It's the biggest question. And sometimes that's the biggest sort of hole that you're digging yourself out of in the midst of it is like, where, who, who was I again? So yeah, I've been working in TV news and broadcasting for almost 20 years. I started out in traditional news. So traditional news reporting in Eastern Washington. I'm originally from Idaho. And so I worked at a couple stations in Eastern Washington as a producer and reporter and then moved my way up to becoming an evening anchor there, and then moved to Tucson, Arizona for several years to be a morning anchor. 
there for the CBS station. Then, and this is pretty typical. You know how this business yeah. works, Andre. You know, <laughs> you know how it goes. Then TV. it was like, then I read yeah. TV exactly. Then I went to Indianapolis, worked for Fox, anchored mornings there for several years, and then ten years ago ended up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this is adding up to more than twenty years. Anyway, wow, <laughs> ten years ago ended up in Dallas working for the Fox station here in town, and then left that to get into more lifestyle reporting, food, fitness, fashion, fun, family, that kind of stuff, which has really been a joyous balance during this season to not be, you know, in the heavy, heavy news and politics and such for the last five years. So I host a show now in Dallas called Inside DFW with Jenny and Chondo. Love it. Uh, it's a morning show, 9 a.m. It's a lot of fun. So that's what I do now. Actually, just launched a new podcast, a new oh. kind of parenting podcast with one of my Congrats. BFFs. Thank you. My TV BFFs called No Gifts, Please, because we have no <laughs> gifts as parents. We're just yeah. like out here winging it like everybody else. So anyway, that's what I love to do. I am married to my husband, Heath, and have been for a little more than seven years. And we do have a six-year-old daughter named Brighton who is just, you know, kind of the center of our universe as, you know, can become the case. And that's me. And now I guess I'm like, am I from Dallas now? Is that how that works? Like I stayed in this place for 10 years. I don't know really where I live, but I'm here for the moment. I love it. Well, I was just saying before we started recording, people now think I'm from New York because I probably talk a little fast (laughs) or like my patience has gone down, but I'm originally from Canada. But I think if you're somewhere for a decade, as I've been also in New York, you can claim it. That's that's home, and <laughs> and you probably you have a beloved audience. You know the audience there probably wakes up with you many days and knows We're you as right a before. local, yes. right? So that's awesome. <laughs> so one thing that really struck me when we started chatting online and talking about this podcast was that I think you know so often maybe we those in our audience who easily conceive the first time, secondary infertility is sometimes left out of this conversation in this community. And I know it can be so painful, but, you know, with your first, like what happened? You now host this parenting podcast. What was that experience? And then we'll get to your current. I cringe when I think about that story, honestly, because it's that story. It's my first story that's become such a pain for my friends in the infertility community. And now like myself, look, me looking back at me. And so, it, you know, it's just, it's a, it's just, just a dumb story. We got married, we got pregnant and had a fine pregnancy and had our baby and thought that everything was fine. So I guess I must've had her when I was 35. And I remember at that point you go through some of the, you know, you're like the tech, I think it might've just barely been 35. So you're technically advanced maternal age. I didn't really think much of it. I just felt very youthful. I felt like a woman who had been focused on her career really heavily. I mean, obviously I dedicated my whole life to it. I traveled around the country. I love my career. And so I just kind of, I do remember like kind of dawning on me thinking, well, we should probably start. I hear that, you know, I guess thirties, forties, it's like maybe a little bit more difficult. And so we were really, honestly, it's just, I think it's just dumb luck. I don't know what it is. I don't know what a doctor would say, but it did happen really quickly. And then as soon as I had her, I went and got an IUD. And I think nobody said, hey, if you want to have another baby, you may want to consider, you know, visit checking your numbers, like just check some numbers. That's I mean, even that you wouldn't even have to go to a reproductive endocrinologist necessarily. But just that little suggestion of, hey, before we do this, in case you want another one, 
let's check that. But that it didn't cross my mind, definitely didn't cross my husband's mind. He's five years younger. So I think the combination of him being five years younger and me feeling, I just felt vibrant. I felt vital. I felt alive. I felt like quite overwhelmed, honestly, with motherhood. I did not feel in a position to have another child at the time. And gosh, I've thought so many times, like, did I jinx it by, by oh not being gosh. right? You know, of course, yeah. you, I mean, everybody listening has done that cycle where you think, is this on me? Because I wasn't super pumped to have a baby immediately afterwards because I was drowning in, you know, trying to figure out how to pump in my car on my way to work. So we really just held off for that next two years. Didn't freeze an egg, didn't check a number, didn't look at a hormone. I mean, it didn't have any clue what was going on. So then, you know, naturally, then you start to try and it's like, oh, wait. And then it's like, jokes on you, you're 37, 38 years old. And it's more challenging. And I had no clue it was going to be that way. Such a familiar tale. And we really hope at Pregnanish, and I'm sure you the same hope, Jenny, that the next generation of young women and men, for that matter, just people, have more awareness totally than we had. We were never taught these things in school. You're taught how not to get pregnant, not what can happen if you can't. But you even said like you didn't know you could age out. You kind of had an idea you can't be 60 and have a baby. But what did you think? Well, I'm like everybody else. I'm seeing celebrities on, you know, Us Weekly and, you know, People Magazine and stuff having, you know, children well into their 40s and 50s. And it seemed to be happening frequently. And nobody was telling the stories otherwise. And I mean, I think I told you via voice memo when we were talking before, I'm normally such a private, such a closed person. Like five years ago, Jenny would have never talked about just, just any of this. I was just working in the news and you're buttoned up and you're wearing a suit and you're trying to keep a certain persona. And I'm like, persona? All bets are off. <laughs> right. Because I'm not about to be another person who did eventually at 41, you know, was able to have a child acting like, oh, I guess I'm just special. Like, you know, that it was just that I think I was just seeing these other women. I thought, well, they seem healthy. And and you realize what, first of all, what is healthy? Second of all, I'm, I've become quite certain, you know, it doesn't have a lot to do with that in some instances, you know, right. that there's no, the standard of healthy is just very fluctuating in the fertility world, I will say. 100%. (laughs) Some of the healthiest looking people we know are infertile. Totally. And, you know, it's interesting. It's so powerful what you said about even you cringe a little bit thinking of the old Jenny with the first pregnancy. And look, we only know what we know at the time. And that's what our lived experience is what informs our perspective. I get that totally. But looking back now, doesn't it feel miraculous that you got pregnant so easily? Oh, it's completely, it's completely (laughs) miraculous. And and at the time I didn't have, I've never had fertility coverage, but my previous employer now covers egg freezing. And I mean, I have no shame. Andrea, I will go to those girls that like have started after I left. Like, hey girl, (laughs) I know you've got that benefit. I know you have that coverage. I know it's none of my business. And I remember like it became very taboo women of our generation to ask about. And it's still very much taboo to ask about, you know, when are you going to have kids? Because those of us who have been there, when are you adding a sibling? You know, little Bobby, little Jenny needs a sibling. That kind of stuff is wildly inappropriate. However, I almost feel like the pendulum, there's this weird pendulum because 
everyone was so like kid gloves with me, I think that nobody ever said, girlfriend, you are going to eventually age out of this process. So you kind of wish someone told you. Yeah. So I think it's important, you know, for those of you that you have the appropriate relationship with or, you know, to be able to say, hey, like this is a this is an incredible thing that some of us want to do in our lives. And there is sometimes a time period for some people and you can get checked out and find out about, you know, some odds. There's some, you know, there's a little bit of odds. There's a little bit of luck. There's a little bit of magic that happens. But, you know, there's ways to involve science to find out, okay, what are your odds at this moment? Yes. And those numbers, which are still kind of the Wild West when we get the hormone levels, like no one even sits you down sometimes to explain what the heck FSH and AMH. But we're starting to do better with all of this than 10 years ago. And that's it's just a good thing for us to be educated and then make decisions, have agency over our decisions. New era. That's our hope. That's our dream. But, you know, I think As you, so two years later, you start trying, it's not happening. Tell us about that process. Like, at what point did you seek fertility help knowing, okay, and who told you then? Like, did someone tell you? I did not, Andrea. I mean, and look, it's like, I'm preaching to the choir. You know that it's super fun in the beginning. We're going to try, we're going to have another baby. And it gets super not fun. And that, luckily, my husband and I had been going to, we went did premarital counseling before we got married. We got married, engaged within six months, then married a year later, then pregnant, gosh, a few months after we got married. And luckily we kept that person. And I think that without that help, making it through that initial trying and then not getting pregnant, I mean, that would have been really, really rough. I can see why it breaks couples up. I see why it causes you know lifelong tension because something that's supposed to be fun and a part of a relationship, it's just like it becomes not fun. So then eventually we did get pregnant in January of 2020. So it was during 2020. And I felt like, was it just me or was everybody getting pregnant in 2020? A lot of people were trying then during like, yeah, yeah. that was a big year. It just yeah. felt like, and there's just, you know, and you start to see the announcements. And that's when I remember starting to really like, ooh, you know, this person, you know, they're having their third or fourth baby. And, you know, and, and here we are like, you know, trying to make this happen. And so in 2020, we did end up getting pregnant. And I I never sought the help of anybody, which is so unlike me. I'm looking back, I'm like, what, Jenny? It's interesting because I'm normally such a research project on myself and in work. And it just genuinely did not dawn on me to look into anything. So it was a little girl and we lost her at about three months in January of 2021. And it was just, it was a really traumatic experience. I hemorrhaged. I was in the ER. Our daughter was there and had to see it because it's COVID and we have nobody to take her to. But then my husband wanted to be in there. Once you're there, you can't leave if you want to come back. It was just, it was really a lot. I mean, I remember almost like crawling to the car from blood loss, you know, had never been through it before. And it wasn't, then I did see my doctor because you have to go in to get, you know, medical management if you're, you know, decide what you're going to do. And even then we didn't talk about going to an expert. And the advice, you wait till there's three miscarriages. And it's just, at the time I was thinking, I could never go through this again. Like, No, it's devastating. I'm so sorry. And then of course I did go through it three times. Oh my gosh. But 
it wasn't until after the second one, I went on my own. Then we ended up getting pregnant again later in 2021, miscarrying in August, you know, just kind of similar situation almost at that three month mark when you're really like, I mean, shoot, if you're pregnant for one day, you're really holding on to it. If you think you might see a faint, like if you think you send your friend a, a text, you're like, do you think you see the line? If she thinks she sees the line, like you're done, you're celebrating, you're planning a baby room. Like you are thinking of names. So it doesn't really matter how long you know somebody is. It's just, it's really tough. So after that, in that August of 2021, we decided to try to get in with a reproductive endocrinologist. And then I was like, oh my gosh, these people have wait lists. Oh my gosh. Like another hurdle, right? <laughs> another hurdle. Yeah. And not everybody is super, you know, their specialties, right? So some people are, I think, really they're working with people with maybe with PCOS. And I didn't really understand. I didn't have an infertility diagnosis. The second baby I was able to, you know, you can do a collection and you can get your baby and send them off to a lab and find out if there's, you know, a, like if there was a genetic abnormality or, you know, what happened. And so with our daughter in the ER, they, she got put into the wrong fluid. They were never able to check, but the doctors just said she probably had an abnormality. That's what normally happens. I was just like, oh my God, who says that? Seriously. But you know, it's clinical and right. they deal with a lot. And so, you know, we moved on and then with our boy, there was a genetic abnormality. So then I thought, okay, well, maybe we should test for this. Maybe are we carriers of this? Is this something? So we finally got in with an expert and like, this was the strangest part of the process. Now looking back and I, you know, everybody has their own medical journey. They did like timed intercourse with a shot. <laughs> It was like the only time I didn't get pregnant. It was just very... I know. That is the weirdest. I remember once being at a doctor and the doctor, yeah, told me, I've talked about this before, but he wanted to do a postcoital exam on me. And so he's like, yeah, he's like, have sex at this time. It was super clinical. Come back at this time. I just, I was like, of course he's been in my business. It's not like I've never pulled my pants down, but I was so awkward then now that I work in the fertility industry, I see all these doctors at conferences. And the first time I saw one, I yelled out kind of awkwardly, inappropriately, making a joke of it, but didn't land the way it meant to. Hey, you recognize me with my clothes on? And then I was like, wait a minute, I probably shouldn't say that at a conference. But yeah, I see these doctors now. It's so funny. But yeah, all of these things are so clinical and so weird. And But you're like, okay, I'll stop at nothing, right? Just to yes, do this. I'll stop at nothing. And so what I was doing at that point was we had been through our second loss. I said, I'm not waiting for three. Like and no. by that time, I had researched enough to know it was, I felt like this window was closing, honestly, Andrea. And I don't want, I like definitely don't want to put out negativity, but one million percent, because obviously plenty of people will do this well into their forties. And like, so I don't want to be one of those people that causes nervousness, but I will say in that moment, no, but you're having real talk. Yeah. Like the real talk was like, oh, Jenny, no one told you that you're just out here living your life and this window is going to close and you're going to have no idea. You're going to come back and be like, knock. And it's like done. So I said, I'm not waiting for three. So we went, we did the timed intercourse. It did nothing. And we were joking. We're like, well, we've done this. Like this has worked a few times on our own without the timing. My husband was traveling at the time. He had a very busy job. I was going in for the morning show during the morning, then asking for this I mean, it's incessant time off because they're checking you every day. 
to see if this is the day that I'm telling my husband, like, it's the day. And it's just like, at first it's fun. And then again, it's just like weird. And then it was like so many days in a row. And I think that unless you've gone through this, it sounds like so great. So it was so many days in a row. It did not work. Then, you know, then this doctor was like, and I remember thinking going in there, I was like, I was ready to do IVF right then. Because I'm like, let's just researched. You knew I had researched. Now's time. Yeah, I knew the odds. So that never worked. We ended up switching, and and at that point, I met with every doctor in Dallas Fort Worth. Like I met with everybody. (laughs) Gosh, and I started to finally ask friends because I'm like, how is it that none of my girlfriends like like did you guys do IVF? I mean, I, I I even questioned some friendships. I thought. You you saw us go through these losses and like you did IVF, but, you, but why didn't you ever say like, hey, Jenny, this is my doctor. Like, do you want to try them? Like this actually worked for us or we did donor conception or we did, you know, whatever it I is. Know these things are yeah. private, but I'm also thinking, what's a girlfriend for? Totally. What is the point of friendship if you're not going to get into the real talk about totally. actual life? Totally. So I went through this period of just asking friends, people from church. I mean, everybody. If I had an inkling that they had done IVF, I was like, they can block me forever. I don't care. I'd like <laughs> need to know. So we found one doctor. We we started an unmedicated cycle, which is what they'll sometimes do for people that are getting in that advanced maternal age just to try to get more eggs or not even age, just like my personal count. So they did an unmedicated cycle and we started the IVF cycle and I got pregnant. We got pregnant on our own. So... Who was like, I mean, I'll never forget calling. And of course, they're so thrilled for you, the the clinic. And they're like, oh my gosh, this, they said this does happen. Like it can happen. And we all knew though that like it wasn't ideal. We were doing IVF for a reason because, you know, I'd had these two losses and um, you don't have time to waste. And so that was another little boy and he made it till it was like 10 or 11 weeks. Uh, got like, you know, that flutter of a heartbeat. And, you know, we went in the first one. There was no heartbeat. They said, let's wait. Then there was a heartbeat and then it faded. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Durrett Norhausen, who leads a great team in practice at CCRM Fertility of Dallas-Fort Worth, and who can shed more light on one topic we're talking about with Jenny today, pregnancy loss and infertility. She believes in providing individualized, compassionate care to her patients, which we here at Pregnanish really appreciate. It's also worth noting that Dr. Norhassen truly understands what it is like to walk in her patient's shoes. She's personally done five IVF cycles to ultimately create an embryo that was eventually transferred to a surrogate when she at that time wondered if becoming a parent was even possible. I love that. Before we go into your personal story, Doctor, I would love to start with your professional one. What brought you to the field of reproductive medicine? Yeah, great question. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. So I decided to pursue medicine in general. I come from an immigrant family. We moved from South America, came to America to pursue the American dream. But as the oldest child in an immigrant family, I witnessed a lot of things and our lives were not as easy. And so I, I witnessed my mom go through several pregnancies, several pregnancy losses, losing children, watched her go through a hysterectomy. And so I wanted to 
help women and children. So I decided to become a physician and an OBGYN. And it's during my OBGYN residency that you get exposed to the subspecialties of OBGYN. And one of those subspecialties is the fields of reproductive endocrinology and infertility. And I absolutely fell in love with it. It's just such a great joy to help people create families and see how excited they get when they're pregnant and when they finally hold their baby. So that's why I pursued reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Oh, I love that. And yeah, the personal experience that brings us to our jobs just gives us so much more of a connection to it that we would probably so many of us, and I, I imagine with you, want to do this work whether or not it was your professional job, you would care enough to be helping people in this way, having experienced this with your own family. And then personally, you experienced it, I know. At what point were you in your journey professionally when that happened? And what happened on your journey to parenthood? Yes. So I pursued my career, got established as a practicing physician. So I did medical school residency fellowship, was in private practice. And Somehow I forgot to meet Mr. Wright and start a family. And so I met my husband much, much later in my reproductive life. And and we finally got married. And then it was very difficult to have children when you're that much older. And so we did IVF and it took us five rounds of IVF. So five cycles of doing the injections, five egg retrievals. And we did egg freezing, we did sperm freezing, we did embryo freezing, we tested the embryos with a PGTA testing. So I've done everything that I offer patients, I've done it myself. Yes. Because we had so many problems and we had to have so many workarounds. But on the fifth cycle is when we finally got one good embryo out of all five cycles. And that one embryo was ultimately transferred to a surrogate. So it's because of her, I'm a mother today. And so that's what led me to write my book, Miracle Baby, A Fertility Doctor's Fight for Motherhood. Because I wanted patients to know that I too have experienced it and I actually understand what they're going through. And it was my patients that actually encouraged me to share my experience. As my surrogate was getting ready to deliver, I decided to take some time off from work and I had to tell patients, hey, I'm leaving for a little bit and because I'm expecting a baby and they're looking at my belly and I'm a very small woman, so I do not look nine months pregnant at all. You were pregnant-ish though. You were pregnant-ish. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you don't look pregnant and why are you expecting a baby? So I had to share my story with my patients and they were the ones that suggested, hey, you should share your story with the world because people need to know that everyone can experience this. Absolutely. And it, again, brings more heart and understanding to the work you do every day. I'm a parent, thanks to surrogacy as well. You may or may not know, but I'm forever grateful to surrogacy and my first cousin, Alana, who helped bring my now four-year-old into the world. How did you decide to take that step with all your knowledge and all the cycles you did? And it's not an easy decision, I know. What prompted you or convinced you it was the next right move? Well, so I have a true medical contraindication to being pregnant. And so I couldn't physically be pregnant. And so I I needed a surrogate for that reason. 
Oh, did you know that earlier on in that case? Yeah. I see. Yeah. So many things bring us to surrogacy. And that's, you know, I always say we could have a whole show or a whole platform just about that because that's its own big, big topic. But everything that you do in your practice every day, I'm sure you've seen so many cases and so many stories and so many deserving parents. And sadly, not everyone gets to meet their baby or meet their baby in an easy, quote unquote, way. We're conducting this interview for the month of October, which is Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month. And we know that as common as miscarriages, and we hear one in four, we know that's probably even low because that's what's reported. So many in, in probably at your office and in our audience have been touched by this really devastating experience, which is highly misunderstood. So what are some reasons people might experience pregnancy loss, miscarriage? So very good question. And you're absolutely right in your lead into that question. Several of my patients have told me this. My mother has told me this, that it was better to have not been pregnant than to experience a pregnancy loss because the joy of thinking you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby and then losing it is very difficult for a woman. So to answer your question, what are the causes of pregnancy losses? The most common reason is we don't know. We could do all the testing and the most common reason is we find nothing. Now of the known causes, so once we do the testing of the known causes, the most common known cause of recurrent pregnancy loss is uh, what we call aneuploidy, or the embryo was abnormal, and nature has a way of making those embryos spontaneously abort. And those pregnancy losses related to aneuploidy or abnormal genetics of the embryo, most of those aneuploidy arise de novo or new in the embryo. So the genetics of the intended mother and the intended father, the genetics were normal, but somehow in the creation or the division of the embryo was not genetically normal. So mostly de novo abnormal genetics in the embryo. Occasionally, the genetic component could have come from the intended mother or the intended father, and that's what we call the translocation, a balanced translocation in this scenario where the intended mother or the intended father, they have all the chromosomes they need for normal day-to-day function but the chromosomes are arranged in the raw pattern. And so when they go to create embryos or get pregnant, they can have infertility or miscarriages. So that's aneuploidy as the most common known cause of pregnancy loss. The second most common known cause is abnormalities within the female reproductive system. And so that can be something congenital that they're born with. So As a female fetus growing in our mother's uterus, all of our organs develop, our heart develop, our lungs develop, our uterus develop. And the uterus starts off as two horns called the malaria ducts, and they fuse and recanalize to form the uterine cavity. And there can be multiple hiccups in that fusion or recanalization, which could lead to abnormalities like bicornate uterus, septate uterus, didelphus. So a congenital cause of the female reproductive system not being normal can be can lead to miscarriages, as well as an acquired cause of the uterine cavity, making it not normal or ideal for a pregnancy. So things that can develop 
large polyps, fibroids that grow within the cavity, scar tissue from previous pregnancies, previous DNCs. So there are many things that we can acquire along the way that can lead to the uterus not being an optimal environment for an embryo to grow in. And then the third most known cause of recurrent pregnancy loss is what we call blood clotting disorders or thrombophilias. Lupus or antiphospholipid antibodies, essentially these are women who are predisposed to blood clots. And what they do is they throw, essentially throw blood clots to the placenta and shut off blood supply to the pregnancy. And then the pregnancy fails to continue to grow. And those are probably the three most common known causes of miscarriages. So aneuploidy, abnormalities in the uterine tract, what it's congenital or acquired, and then thrombophilias. And then there are many other causes, things like the most common one that I see a lot of is advanced reproductive age. As we advance in reproductive age, our eggs and sperm are not as healthy, and therefore the embryos are not as healthy. Things that we do daily, whether it's excessive caffeine, excessive alcohol, drugs, any of those things. So habits that we potentially could change. So there are those components as well. But the majority of the causes of recurrent pregnancy loss are not known after testing. The good news is that with treatment, particularly with IVF and PGTA testing, so testing the embryos and making sure they're euploid, meaning they have the correct number of chromosomes or gene regions prior to implantation, really does improve the chances of it turning out to be a a healthy pregnancy and a live birth. I mean, that's the goal is live birth from a woman's perspective is not just being pregnant is to leave a hospital with a healthy baby in your arms and live birth is what's important to a woman. Absolutely. I used to say, you know, my problem wasn't necessarily getting pregnant, it's staying pregnant. And to your point earlier, it's painful when you can't stay pregnant. We have a number of people in our audience with repeated loss. That's just... A very devastating thing. So in addition to genetic testing, do you recommend any other diagnostic tests or anything you would suggest our audience look into should they have repeated loss? Yeah, so the genetic testing of the embryos, genetic testing of the intended mother and father prior to starting IVF, an evaluation of the reproductive system. So an HSG or histocalpingogram tells us if the fallopian tubes are open, but also gives us a general idea as to the uterine contour. Things like a saline infusion sonogram, particularly if it's done on a three-dimensional ultrasound. You can see details in the cavity, including fibroids, polyps, and then a hysteroscopy where you go in with a small telescope called a hysteroscope and look directly in the uterus with our eyes. That can be diagnostic as well as therapeutic because you can potentially fix what we find inside the cavity. So those look at the reproductive system. And then blood testing for the thrombophilias or the blood clotting disorders. And then along the lines of just trying to stay as healthy, right? So we cannot change our age. We cannot change our genetic predisposition. The only thing that you and I have control over is just our day-to-day environmental components. So staying healthy, eating a well-balanced diet. And in theory, there's a linear relationship. So the healthier we are, the healthier all of our cells in our body are, including our egg and sperm cells. And In theory, the healthier the embryo could be and healthier the pregnancy will be. So the only thing we really have component 
control over is just our environmental component. I understand that completely. But, you know, what one thing we often say to our audience is, yes, there's a lot you can't control. And there's even stuff doctors don't always know, which is why unexplained is a common diagnosis. But for what we can control, self-care, taking care of our mind, body, spirit can never be a bad thing. Anything else you want to add while we launch this month of content on pregnancy loss and supporting a community who is fighting to have a family? Yeah, just staying healthy, reducing stress. Acupuncture can be helpful for some patients. And then anything that, and this varies from person to person, so things that help them reduce stress, whether it's just meeting up a friend for lunch or joining support groups, which are incredibly important. It's nice to hear that there are other people going through what we're going through and that way we don't feel alone. So just like pregnantish and just hearing that others are experiencing the same thing and infertility miscarriages can happen to anyone. I mean, even as a fertility doctor, it can happen to anyone. And so just connecting with others is so important. 100%. Thank you so much for being on the Pregnant Podcast. And I'll let you get back to all your patients. I know you're extremely busy and you took time to chat with us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And now back to my interview with Jenny and why she's used her voice now to raise more awareness around infertility and miscarriage. And so it was just more devastation. And at that time, I just thought, I don't know how much more we can do. Or take, right? Like how much can you just think when you're in the depths of that grief, which it's such deep grief, how much more like can I be tested? How much more can I spend physically, emotionally, relationally, right? How did you process it? Was it part, you mentioned the counselor you had, which sounded helpful, but how else did you start opening up to people and friends, church? Where did you get your support? Good question. Initially, I just, I didn't do a lot of support. It was just so so private between my husband and I. By this third time, I mean, the world knew my business. So, you know, so it was a little bit, it was a little bit easier, but then a little bit harder because like you go back to work after a few days and it's this, I don't work with a ton of moms, you know, I don't work with a ton of parents. It was just this strange feeling of, I think some people just have that guttural empathy. And then some people have, you know, and how would they? Like they have no clue what it is. So it's just kind of, it's just kind of nothing. But got a lot of support through our church community. I'm super tight with my mom. She experienced miscarriages. I have two younger brothers, but in between, she experienced a lot of loss. And I appreciated that she, like, I think the thing that she did so beautifully was she never said, like, I get it. I understand. I've been there. Or because she was like, you know, this is super different. You know, mine were pretty early. And, you know, I didn't do the collection. And I think the collection, honestly, Andrea, was it was pretty traumatic. Like, it's like 50-50 whether I'd recommend, you know, to a friend or like if somebody's listening and they're a friend, the collection is, it was a part of the process. And what was involved in that? So you basically leave the clinic and they'll give you a collection cup or this is the way that it was. And I did this all three times. I did not ever get a DNC. I think that there's so many pluses and minuses. And I think it's one of the most important decisions that you can make in one of the hardest times of your life. And so I just, I feel like I encourage people to just really like, don't be rushed through that decision because there's, there's implications to both. But 
I knew from the first time, like ended up in the ER and was not able to test because she was in the wrong fluid. I was like, okay, we're doing this. Like I'm doing this. And we basically got a big colander and would, you know, take it there with me. And, you know, I bled for days and a couple of times I thought it was the baby. And I had actually had a midwife that I was planning on birthing with. And she helped me through this process, which was great. We, you know, when I'd send her pictures, like, is this like, is this the baby? And then she's like, yes, that's the baby. So hard. You know, put the little fetus inside of this cup. You send it off and they test it. And then they do give you a phone call with the genetics counselor afterwards. And I, I, like I said, I think it's 50-50. Like, I think for some people, they want to really just move on, close that door and not consider it in such a visual way. For me, sort of being more of like, numbers-based and information-based and knowing if we're going to move forward with IVF, this is, you know, we really want to know what we've got here. It helps me. And then I talked to the genetics counselor and they said, you know, you had this, 2014 was one of them. Um, This is what it means. This is, you know, why it sometimes happens. Most of them for me were age-related, but in terms of dealing, yeah, it was just kind of going through those processes and pulling everything I could out of the medical providers and taking advantage of, hey, I paid for this test. I'm going to talk to the genetics counselor. Yeah, you're going to get all the information. It sounds like this journey, it was as much information discoveries and and like regrets, discoveries, power, all of that wrapped up in the information or lack of information you had. Like if I had to find a theme in all of this, it's so interesting because as a journalist, what is your job? I've been a journalist. It's to get the facts, the information. We're just constantly curious to get more. And then, of course, you you dug in like a journalist here, right? Yes. To get the materials you needed to pull together the story of your fertility. It's fascinating. I think, by the way, for listeners, I had a DNC. I see what you're saying, Jenny. It's like such a, I could look both ways too. For me, I just wanted to wake up I was terrified to have the experience that you faced, though I could see all sides of it. But one thing of the DNC that was so hard was waking up with pregnant people all around. It's in the hospital in the same area of the who thought of that same area of the hospital where people are celebrating their babies and I'm being wheeled out. Yeah devastated. And so these snapshots we're going to be sharing this month in October of what a miscarriage looks like, what it feels like, is so important that we are graphic, that we paint this picture because no one is talking about this enough. Yeah. Well, I had no, I mean, for example, I knew there was like bleeding, but I didn't know what I was hemorrhaging. I didn't know, oh my gosh, you're about to need a blood transfusion. Right. So I think it's just so critical to be in touch, to have a blood pressure cuff. Like if you decide to manage at home and I don't want to make it sound scary, I think it's incredibly rare that happens, but it does. So to know or to know mentally, if you're going in for the DNC and if it's at the hospital in labor and delivery, which is so absurd, but they are to know like who, whatever confidants coming in, they're putting your sunglasses on, they're giving you a cookie and like getting you out of there. Mm, that's so true. I So after this third devastating experience and you pick yourself up again, what was your next step? How did you A, keep going? And then where did you go next? So I stayed at that same clinic that I had started IVF with and then gotten pregnant sort of early on in the cycle, which is, it's just for people that are maybe newer to the process, it's very rare for that to happen during IVF. It's typically not a worry. It's just this one type of 
cycle that we did. And you know what? You can't connect the dots forward, only backward. I will only know why, you know, that happened. So we started an IVF cycle on my 40th birthday last year, my first. So what would be my first full retrieval without office? I was actually going on a girl's trip with a bunch of friends to Miraval Resort, which is like this gorgeous I actually used to work at one back in the day because, you know, TV, you always yeah, got extra yeah, jobs, yeah. you got side totally. gigs, you got extra jobs. So anyway, it was just this, and I thought, this is it, Jenny. Like, this is it. You are turning 40. You're surrounded by love. You're going to do this shot, your first shot, right before you get on the plane. And you're going to be surrounded by, I had another friend who had done a retrieval cycle to freeze her eggs. She's going to be there to help. I just felt so optimistic. And I will never forget, you know, we did that, then went in for the retrieval. It had gone really well, really well in terms of numbers and, you know, made several embryos. They were all set for testing. And I was sitting at a dinner with a group of like kind of friends and kind of acquaintances. And I was actually going to be the DD that night. And I wasn't supposed to find out my numbers for a couple of days. So I saw the doctor's office call and they called to say that none of our embryos tested normal. That's devastating. And it was just like I said, friends and acquaintances, because I think that like that can be relatable to people where you're kind of surrounded by people like unless they're your best friend or, you know, maybe a parent or a partner or something, they can't really know. So I wasn't going to go back and start crying in front of these people. It was just like you got a DD. I said, I think we should maybe call it an early night, drive everybody home and then just like went home and just, you know. Yeah. Just fell. Oh, it's just awful. I think that's also an undertold story of IVF that it doesn't always equal success. And it's certainly embryo losses are different kind of what feels like a miscarriage. Like, you know, depending on where you sit with politically, I know. But no matter what, heart-wise, whether or not you think life begins at conception, you're going to have an, some connection in this community to those embryos. And yeah, to process that without... In public, I, you know, in year five of the struggle, I would never open news from my clinic unless I was in a very safe space. It took me many years to realize that. <laughs> like, we're previous to that. I would open it at dinner. I'd open it when I'm at, I'm open on the subway. And then I just started putting on my big sunglasses on the New York City subway because I would cry in these strange places. Oh, that's really hard. So after that, where did you go? What happened? Well, that night I dropped those people off, went home and told Heath, my husband, and we just, you know, we didn't like, I I knew that it could not work. But when you hear of people doing IVF, it's just like they do IVF. I mean, you know, like, obviously, you know, it, do, it doesn't always work. And we had been really optimistic because of the number of embryos. So then we decided to go back to the interviews, go back to the drawing board, go back to science. I went to, is it SART on, it's like S-A-R-T online. Yeah, yeah, where you look at the scores mm-hmm. and yeah. I went to the CDC website to look at numbers. Then of course, then I realized, ooh, not all clinics report the same. Okay, some of these are delayed. Some of these are new clinics, which is not reported yet. So that got ultimately all consuming. Every single day after work, I would go home, get on my computer and research and make graphs and make 
I mean, charts and, you know, everything. I would just to try to figure out what are my best odds and who's going to take somebody in my situation. Because by then I had my infertility diagnosis, which was advanced maternal age. There was nothing else that we could find genetically. We spent thousands and thousands of dollars on testing. I'm sure you've been there too. So there was nothing aside from age. So I needed to find somebody that regularly saw patients that were in my age category and that was excited about seeing them. And it was had ideas and techniques and, you know, a really good lab. And so we said, we're going to give it one more shot. And, you know, by this time, your money's running pretty tight. Like, yeah, it's like, and you're wondering, like, like, is work concerned about I'm constantly having to leave for appointments, just the stress and everything. So we decided to go to one more clinic and my husband wanted to set a limit, which makes financial sense. Like, okay, we are going to do one more round. we done like one and a half rounds plus the timed intercourse. Like, and I said, I can't put a limit on it. Like, I don't know. I will do anything. And so we decided to do one more round at a clinic here in Dallas, Fort Worth. That was great. And we got one single normal embryo. And so far that one has worked. And you're pregnant. And I could tell you, Dr. Dorette Norhassen is our mid-roll interview. She was your doctor, I know. And so I'll just come out with that because she's wonderful. And I think to get someone who just understands and fights like you fight to have a family is so important. Your partner's in this, making a baby, right? Right. And I had read her book. So I mentioned researching ahead of time. I had read her book. I had a, a girlfriend in our industry who had interviewed her you know, let's go for it. Yeah. Let's try it. I can't think of something I would rather spend my money on. It's crazy as it sounds, but you know, you want what you want, right? You're working toward a goal. And so I just got super laser focused and worked really hard. I did a lot of the, you know, fertility diets and did those things work? Who the hell knows? Right. Right. Who the hell knows? I mean, so it was like, you know, eliminating gluten, eliminating dairy, eliminating caffeine, eliminating alcohol, nightshades, having these strange smoothies and these weird beet soups and lots of bone broth, which I don't think I can ever eat bone broth again. I think I'm out on it for the rest of my life. (laughs) But I did just try to go all in. Yeah. And you had this one healthy embryo. You have to go all in. Yep. What advice do you have for others navigating all the things you've talked about, miscarriage, secondary infertility, navigating this confusing process, like who are listening, who are just feeling lost. Just like, I just want to give you a big hug through the screen, first of all, like through your ears, through your, whether you're driving (laughs) around in your car, going on your little walk, your hot girl walk. Like, I just want to give you a hug. And I think the biggest advice is to like, not be afraid to ask questions and be an advocate for yourself, even through the pain. And I do think that in this process, we have to take thoughtful, mindful, intentional pauses. But, you know, like we get this one life and this one chance. And so, you know, take selfishness into full account. So if that means you're eliminating some extra projects at work or eliminating some stressful friends or family members or just getting completely laser focused, there's a few times in life when we do that. I think in college we do that. If you're somebody that goes to, you know, get some sort of 
you know, post high school education. People don't care if you forget their birthday because you're in college, right? People don't care if you like, you know, miss events, you're in college, they understand it. And when you're planning a wedding, that's a joyful time. People forgive it. When you are going through infertility or you're going through miscarriages, when you're, you just, you cannot worry about what the outside world demands of you. Yeah. You won't make it through it. And I think I've had to learn that because I was somebody that even in college, I was serving everybody else and not missing a birthday and give, 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 give. And I had to go through this in order to really know how to ground myself and stand up for myself and like demand what I need in that moment in order to achieve the mental health result. And then, you know, hopefully the fertility result. Mm, Yeah, really powerful advice. We talk about what you would tell others, but let's go back to Jenny in your lowest moment. What would you tell yourself now? Oh, my gosh. Just thinking of me in my lowest moments, it's like, which, how do we count the ways, you know? Like, it's just so hard because I want to say it gets better, but, like, that's it's just not, it's not always the case. And I think that's the reality. There is a fertility doctor in California that has this quote that says, you'll become a mother in one way or another. And that was kind of what carried me through because I was just really realistic about the fact that like IVF may not work for you. But I remember thinking I can hold on to you'll become a mother in one way or another. You know, we really got really deep into the adoption process. We sought counseling on donor conception. We looked at a a lot of other options and I started to become really okay with those. So I think that's the advice is like you will do this. Like there are ways to do this and they might be unconventional and they might be different and they might be painful. And you might forever have like a little raw part of your booty that the feeling never comes back into (laughs) from all those shots. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) Nobody but this community knows exactly what you're talking about. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What do you think you'll tell your future child of how they came to be? Oh, just that we, you know, that we prayed for her so much. We wanted her so badly. We she's so desired and it's so intentional. Like, I think it just makes me realize how much each of us are intentionally here. Like you are so important. And it's been people who are here listening. You are so important. You are here. I mean, you realize what a miracle we all are. And so for the people listening, you are a miracle. And for, you know, my daughter, she's a miracle. And we are just so grateful. Well, I'm grateful you shared so candidly, so openly, so powerfully your story of love, life, loss, real talk about fertility, which is what we do here at Pregnantish. And thank you for being here on the Pregnantish podcast. Well, thank you. You are a beautiful soul. I love that you started this community. And like I said, it's been so, so helpful to me. I've sent it to friends because now that I'm open, now that they know it. So then they come to me and I'm like, okay, you've got to follow this gal. I love it. So thank you for all you do. Thank you, Jenny. And thank you for listening to another inspiring episode of Pregnanish, where we always have real talk about fertility. Until next time.